Okay, so tonight with us is the director of the Women's Ministry of Fellowship of the Sword. She'll tell you a little bit more about her organization and have some information in the back. Uh, her name is Tamara Franks. Like I said, she came all the way from Dallas. She has an awesome husband named Glenn and two children, Garrett and McKenna. Um, she also, I didn't know all this, I learned all this. She has a master's degree in physical therapy, so she also can like fix our physical bodies too. How great is that? Um, but you know, on top of all of the the, the real-life accolades and the real-life things, this woman is anointed and appointed by the most heavenly God for such a time as this. And I'm telling you people, if you want to see Jesus with skin on, this is what it looks like. Help me welcome Miss Tamara. Give her a big standing applause. Welcome her to Belton. Okay, wow, no pressure. No pressure here at Crossroads Church. Okay. Awesome. I am equally as excited to be here. Um, let me get myself all organized here. Because um, we kind of wonder. I brought my friend Amy, Amy Wave. Amy's my traveling partner. Well, we, we were kind of wondering if we were going to get here. Um, and we were praying. And Amy was the navigator. And it, But it's not like it's real difficult to get to belts and you just get on 35 and drive, you know, for a long time. And um, I'm going to put this down here. And she was watching the red because that's where all the traffic was. And we were, we were seeing it and they'd called me and Pastor Matt and called and checked on us and I'm coming and we see the Bucky's, we see all of this. And she's like, there's a lot of red. I'm like, I know it's okay. And so she's looking at her phone and we see all the red of the, the taillights and we're praying because I, I need to be here on time because I need to honor y'all, but also there are things to say. And we're praying and she goes, oh. And she, it's one of those, you know, when you're driving with somebody and they go, and you're like, okay, what does that mean? Is like an 18 wheeler coming by or what? And she's like, the red went two thirds down. And so we just zipped her right here. God went before us and it was amazing. So I'm just, I'm very excited to be here. Um, thank you for, uh, inviting me. And I've just got a good, oh, you're bringing a Bible stand or a water Bible stand. Thank you. Cause I can't put my Bible on the floor. Oh, thank you. You're going to sneak up here? Okay. You, sn- you snuck up here very well. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just excited about our topic. So I'm going to try to, to contain my excitement until I get to the big, the big point here. But when Holly asked me to speak and she gave me the topic, because sometimes people say talk about, you know, whatever you want to talk about, which is awesome. But I love it when they give me a topic. And when she gave me the topic of fortress, oh, my gosh, I was so excited because it's got meat in it. And I want to prepare you that I'm going to give you a lot of meat tonight. So I hope you brought your knife and your fork because we're going to have s'mores and sugar later. Okay. So we're going to have fluffy stuff later, but I hope you brought your knife and your fork because I'm going to give you a lot of things to chew on and consider. And I'm going to give you some things that I want you to go home and continue to digest. So I have a lot of scripture. Um, I think there's going to be some things on the screen. Um, If it is, great. If it's not, I can send it to you later. It's fine. Know that I'm going to give you a lot of those things. But everything's not going to be tied up in a bow at the end of the the time. And you go, oh, yay, and let's have some s'mores. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. But God's got a deep uh, well for you tonight from his word and understanding what that is. And um, I love movies. You're going to see in a minute I love movies. I'm I'm talking about um, some movie things tonight. And I love... In uh, a movie called Just Right, uh, Queen Latifah is a physical therapist, and she's treating a basketball player, and she ends up falling in love with him and all this stuff. But these other guys ask her out, and she goes, okay, I just need you to know before we go out, I'm not one of those salad-eating chicks. 
Um, she wanted to know, if you're taking me out and thinking we're just going to drink water and we're going to have salad, no. And I need y'all to know that I'm not a salad-eating chick. Okay? Are we good? Okay, and it's good. I like to see responsive. You can you know, say things to me. That's awesome. Great. All right. Here we go. When I need to see you or hear you, I'll put these on. All right. Um, what I want to begin with is I want to establish a foundation. I want to encourage you to pay attention because he, God, is in everything. He's in everything. And um, everything that we experience comes from him. And if you spend much time around me at all, you're going to hear several things come out of, your, out of my mouth consistently because it's what I stand on in the kingdom. Everything in the spiritual is represented in the physical. Everything in the spiritual is represented in the physical. And that means that everything that God wants me to know about him, he's going to reveal to me in the things that he creates. And uh, Romans 1.20, I don't know if you're taking notes. It's awesome if you are. If you're not, it's okay. Romans 1.20, Colossians 1, Hebrews 11, and John 1. All of those scriptures talk about God revealing himself to us in some form or fashion. And one of my favorites in that is Colossians 1.15. It says, he, being Jesus, is the invisible image of God, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that were in heaven and are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. All things. Everybody say all things. Everything were cre- was created, were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That means everything's held together in Christ. Everything we experience on earth is held together in Christ. Okay, so I get that about spiritual things, but this pumpkin is held together in Christ. That's what that verse says, that everything is held together and that the framework, that it's a scripture in Hebrews, Hebrews 11:3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. He frames everything for us so that we can see, we have the capacity to see through faith, and we're going to talk about faith in a little bit, um, that which our eyes can't understand. So everything in the spiritual is represented in the physical. Now, point, you can't drive it the other way. You, it is spiritual to physical. You cannot drive physical to spiritual. That's manipulation. Yes. Oh, thank you. I have a fun, thank you, a responder. Thank you. I love that. Yes. And do you see the difference? If God, if he's revealing himself, it's already formed in truth and he's revealing it to me in what he creates. If I try to take something and drive it the other way, I'm pulling at straws. I'm grasping and I'm manipulating a situation. Hold on to that thought. The other thing that I want you to know as we head into tonight is that you, I'm going to teach you about genuine tonight. You want to study genuine. You do not want to study counterfeit. Okay? You can determine things that are counterfeit by knowing genuine. You must know genuine. That's how people who, who study money, they look at um, counterfeit money. They don't study counterfeit to know counterfeit. They study genuine, and anything that doesn't match up to that is deemed counterfeit. In physical therapy, I did. I practiced physical therapy. I don't any longer, but everything that I was trained in, I studied the normal anatomy. 
I knew what was in order, what, how it was supposed to work, and then every, anything that deviated outside of that was dysfunctional. Okay? So spiritual, physical, and genuine versus counterfeit. All right. Love this verse, Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. You are royalty. So God conceals things because he wants us to come and find it. And that's what we're going to do tonight. All right. Our theme tonight is fortress. Definition, just simple definition of a fortress. A place that is protected against attack. A fortified place, a structure or place from which one can resist attack. And there are several synonyms for that. A bastion, a castle, a citadel, a fortification, to hold Okay, it's a place that's protected against attack. Now, when I looked up fortress in Strong's, so uh, I went to the Strong's Concordance. I do King James because I'm a new King James girl. And I looked up fortress. Fortress appears, the word fortress appears 15 times in the Old Testament. And I've given you some, or I'll have some examples for you, 15 times in the Old Testament. And they are the verses that probably come to mind when you think about God being your fortress, okay? Um, 2 Samuel 22.2, and he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Psalms 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Psalms 31.3, For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for my name's sake, lead me and guide me. And the verses go through 15 times in the the Old Testament. Now, of those 15 verses, five Hebrew words compose the word fortress. So when you look at the 15 verses, that's the thing with English and, and Hebrew and Greek. We have like one English word, and they had five different words that meant what we understand. So it's important as you grow um, in, in, in the wisdom and the admonition of the Lord is that you learn how to study. I'm not saying you need to go to seminary and learn Hebrew and Greek unless the Lord calls you to. What I'm saying is there are very practical tools available to you that you can go and understand the significance of that word. And so there are five words and they, they, they have the same sort of theme. Hold, fenced, fortress, defense, strong, strength. But as I looked At those five words, all of the words described our current day understanding of what a castle is. So if you, not the Disney World castle, that's not a castle, that's pretend, that's not real, it's not real life, you can't live at Disney World, okay? Not that kind of castle where it's all decorated up with curtains and all that and sparkly stuff throws out fireworks every night. If you've traveled anywhere to really foreign countries that have castles, they had original structures, it's what a fortress is. It's what a fortress is. It's got, and we're going to talk about the components of a castle. So I want, I want you to keep that in mind as we're looking and we're studying, because that's a practical example that you can see with your own eyes of what this is talking about. Every castle has the following things that make it a castle. Now, do we have that first clip? Can we show that first clip? Or do I need to put my glasses on to see? Three, a garrison. Then there are two in the middle of the house. 
That's what we're talking about tonight, and it's not Disney World. Does that not excite you? Is anybody excited in here except me about this? Okay. Awesome. All right. Every castle has the following things, and for a thousand years, that's what defines a castle, not just having a stone structure. It had to be all four of those things, and those are true statements. I looked it up. That is really what defines a castle. All right, so as we're looking and studying fortress and what that means, um, we're going to apply the spiritual principles in your life, and as we're talking about each one of these principles, I want you to assess where you find yourself. So throughout the evening, I'm going to present a question to you that you may want to consider now, Holy Spirit's going to speak to you, and at the end of the session, there may be something the Lord may want to minister truth to you about, okay? All right, so the first thing um, that defines a castle, it's location. Location. Site on high ground that commands the territory as far as the eye can see. Now, spiritually speaking, God takes a position of high ground, Okay? He doesn't live in the pit. He doesn't live in the valley. He takes a position of high ground. All throughout Scripture, he is referenced as the sovereign Lord. Sovereign means one who oversees it all. So you can't oversee something if you can't see it, right? Okay, so um, with that, he's in charge of everything. We've already talked about that. And he oversees everything. So when I am right standing with him, and that's what the word righteousness means, right st- righteousness means to be in right standing. So when, when I am in right standing with God, and he is sovereign, and he oversees everything, and he takes the position of the high ground, then I position myself with him, and I'm in that location. To be right standing with him puts you on the high ground. Are you following me? As opposed to distancing yourself from him, and that puts you where? Low ground, pit, valley, hole, whatever you want to call it, dark place. When you, when you go to your dark place, you're no longer in right standing with God because he's not able to speak truth to you. You've got to be able to see what's coming, and he's going to guide you in that. God is described as a strong tower. Those verses we read, a fortress. Most of those passages included strong tower. Okay, what defines a tower? Is it short or is it tall? Okay, he's a strong tower. Look at scripture from another perspective. He is up where he can see what's going on. Um, for you have been a shelter to me, a strong tower from the enemy, Psalm 61.3. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe, Proverbs 18.10. Um, he's also high and lifted up. One of, the, one, of, one of the descriptions in Isaiah 6, when it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and lifted up, and the glory of his train filled the temple. So when you talk to God, where do you usually look? Up. Okay? Don't miss the little play, the little things that you just think you do. You don't just do them. You do them because it's within you, and Holy Spirit is helping you understand where you need to be. He's the lifter of your head. How does he do that? So he gets you to look up at him. Sometimes he has to do this and, and lift up your head, you know, like you do with your kids. Look at me. Look at me. Okay, you do that because you don't want them to be ashamed. You do that when you want them to get you when I get their attention and you go, look at me, it's okay. Now, look up. This is where I am. 
So when you are in right standing with God, you have the location of high ground. The other thing is, um, <clears throat> with this, there's a lot of things with location. Just a couple more I want to mention to you that were significant as I was studying. Um, a lot of times in the Old Testament, God would prepare the army. And he'd say, this is what we're going to do, and this is what I want you to do, and this is where I want you to go. And they're all suited up for battle, and they show up, and they're like, okay, where are they? We're going to get them. And he goes, come with me. And he takes them to a high place. And he has them overlook the wilderness where the enemy is. And then he says, stay here. And I want you to watch what I'm fixing to do. You see what God does in your life from a position of the high place. Okay? And he will go before you and take care of those things. So part of him being the fortress and the protection of you, that strong tower, is that he says, I'm going to protect you. But you don't always know what his protection is going to look like. Because he had you all suited up for battle and they were ready to go. They were there. They, I'll go. I'll fight for the Lord. I'll defend this land. I want this back, what belongs to us. Where do you want me to be? I want you to be right here. And you watch what I'm fixing to do. And he took them to a high ground. He didn't take them to the valley. Okay? All right. The last thing I want you to see is um, Jesus speaking to us in John 14. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So when Jesus is speaking here, where is he seated? Where is Jesus seated? Where do you know him to be seated? At the right hand of the Father. Where's the Father? Yes, up, high ground. So when I'm in Christ and when I'm with him and there, there I will be also, then I am seated with him, joint heir, co-laborer, from a place of sovereignty. That's part of what daughter of the king looks like. Okay? I'm just blowing up your Disney world right now, aren't I? All right. Now, just as a point of order, these high places and the definition of high place is not the same in the Old Testament when it's the high places where the pagans worshipped. When David was talking about, you know, where am I going to look, you know, tear down the high places, those were pagan, pagan places. Then I know pagan places. They, but they were described as the high places. And God says in James 4 that he resists the proud. So when you elevate yourself above him, he's going to resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So sometimes a high place in your life isn't always where God is. Okay. You have to be very discerning and see what's going on because he will resist the proud and gives grace to the humble. Okay, so the thing I want you to consider here is that Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right standing with him, and everything else will fall into place. Position yourself with him, high ground, and he will protect you. It's my duty and responsibility to position myself in right standing before God and take that location of high ground, boldly approaching the throne of grace. That's what Hebrews 4, 6 says. God says about himself, I am the Lord and I do not change. And he is seated on the throne, right? So he doesn't move. So when you find yourself out of position to God, it's not because he went anywhere. It's because you moved. You moved. And he goes, I'm the Lord and I do not change and I'm here. <laughs> and when you're ready, come reposition yourself in right standing with me and boldly approach the throne of grace and let's talk about this. Amen?
Amen. So what I want you to think about is, are you in right standing with him in all areas of your life? And wherever he is, are you there also? Okay. Second component of a castle. Protection. So we've talked about location, high ground, overseeing any everything so you can see an enemy attack and what's going on. Second, protection. Big walls, walls strong enough to withstand a frontal attack. Walls of a castle were designed to protect those on the inside from invaders. So a castle, by definition, was a safe place. You came inside, the, the drawbridge came up, everything, and then there were people posted. Okay? It was a protection for you from frontal attack, not from attack on the inside. Okay? Remember that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, part of God's protection and what this looks like spiritually is that when we are hid in the shadow of his wings, when we are hidden in that place, it's a place of protection. It's a place of safety. It's a place of covering. Psalm 17, 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Uh, Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 63, 7. These are just a couple. You can look up this. Because you have bid my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Now, what this is a picture of in these passages is what covering looks like. Okay? That's what covering looks like. It's all-encompassing, all-surrounding, covers you. Okay? Now, you can only be covered, or the covering is only effective. Let me say it this way. Covering is only effective if you position yourself under it. Okay? It's a picture of an umbrella. That's what covering looks like. An umbrella is only effective as long as I'm under the umbrella. So a lot of times we feel uncovered. Where was God? What did he do? He let this happen to me. I feel exposed. You know, fill in the blank. We all have those times when we feel that way. And I would submit to you to assess your position to him. Because he will cover you. But it's your responsibility and, and action of your own accord to position yourself under his covering. And then you feel that peace and that security and that safety in the midst of what's going on around you. Because that, that's what peace in the midst of the storm looks like. Doesn't, it, it, you know, my, my peace isn't dependent on what's going on around me. It, dep- it depends on where I am with God. Okay? All right. The second thing under protection, shadow of your wings and frontal attack. That was a significant um, part of the definition. Walls strong enough to withstand a frontal attack. What do we use to defend ourselves from a frontal attack and having done all stand? What's the Bible tell us to do? When you've done everything else, stand. What are we doing? What are we wearing to defend ourselves from a front-on attack? The armor of God. Love this. I've heard it, but when I was studying for this, it was like God went, because oh, he knows I'm coming to the end of my year of, of activities and scheduled events and things like that. And I really am better when I'm just exhausted and I listen to the Lord because I don't think too much. You know, you get to that point where you just can't think anymore. And he goes, you've read this before, but read it again. And I'll put that before you. The armor of God. Whose armor is it? It's God's armor. He places this on you. Part of that is covering. Here, take what I have because it's the best. God's armor is the best because he's not going to give you foil when you need titanium. I'm serious. 
when I'm going out and God's going to equip me with his armor, he's going to fully arm me for what's needed because he knows what I'm going into. So he's not going to, you know, undercut me and do me like a little tin suit. He's going to give me titanium. It's from a full-on frontal attack. And what those, in, in Ephesians 6 is where the God's armor is listed. The two pieces, because we could do a whole thing on that. But the two pieces I want to draw your attention to are the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. All right. So, breastplate of righteousness. We've been talking about righteousness. So now picture this. It's a piece of armor that goes over your torso, and it was designed to protect you. It was not designed to be an offensive or defensive weapon, like the shield, like the sword. It was a protection for everything vital to your body. So your righteousness and your right standing is vital to the protection of your life. With that, consider righteousness. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So now couple that with the armor of God that he equips me with. So he equips me with righteousness. He places that on me. First Corinthians 1 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness holiness and redemption. Romans 1:17 for it is in the righteousness of God that faith is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous shall live by faith. So breastplate of righteousness covers the protective it was a protective piece and covers our vital organs, okay? Um as you consider the shield of faith, because they're tied together. Did you see a lot of the verses that talk about the righteousness of God, the righteousness from God, the righteousness given to us in Christ? So do we get this in and of ourselves? No. Okay, once more with gusto. Do we get righteousness in and of ourselves? No. And I don't say that to make you feel small. I say that to encourage you, get in front of God and get right standing with him, and you will be covered in righteousness. He will protect you in those things. Okay, now shield of faith. Love this. All right, so we've been talking about uh, righteousness and faith in that last verse in Romans one seventeen. But in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. But the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, so Scripture tells us about faith. Just a couple of passages. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You could just stop right there. You could just stop right there. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But that's not where it stops. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. God is. And is a faithful rewarder of those who diligently pursue him. So faith is, is inherent to our relationship with God. Because without faith, I can't please him. Really, he's like my kids, nothing's ever going to make me happy. Okay, God doesn't really take that stance with you, but it's all about what you don't see. And he wants you to walk by faith, and that's what 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So, I put before you, what's the opposite of faith? Okay, awesome, because I used to think that too. 
She said doubt. Several of you said doubt or unbelief. Well, surely unbelief is the opposite of faith. Well, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. So I propose to you that sight is the opposite of faith. If I have to see what's going on, if I have to know what's going on, if I have to have the plan of what's going on, I am not operating in faith. Because God says, do this. Close your eyes. Okay, now, follow me. And you're doing this. I have to trust that whoever's leading me is not going to let me fall off the stairs here. Okay, so, with the shield of faith, Psalms 3.3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, the glory and the lifter of my head. I want to talk to you just a minute about the Roman shield, what that shield is talking about here. The Romans, because when Paul was writing that in, um, when, when we t- the armor of God in Ephesians 6, um, he had a reference, a modern-day reference. Okay, so Roman soldiers had a decorative shield that they used in, I guess they had parades and Veterans Day and stuff. They'd walk around with their shield, but it was decorative. It was not functional. It was ceremonial, okay? But then they had the shield that they took into battle. And the shield of faith, that shield in Ephesians 6 is this word, um, thuros, T-H-U-R-E-O-S. And what it means is to be as tall as and as wide as a door, And if you've ever been to Rome or seen doorways in Rome, they're gigantic. They they don't have like little, you know, peepholes. They don't have any of that. Their shield was as tall as a door and as wide as a doorframe. So with that shield of faith is that big is what God tells us to have. So when I walk out and I'm using the shield of faith, it completely covers me. Do you see how things are starting to come together? And I, don't, I can't see. If I have a shield that's this big, can I see in front of it? No. I have to rely on what's going on around me and the men and, that are with me. That's what they would do in battle. And there were things they did with their shield. But it's significant how large it was because it completely covered them. Now, the belt of truth, just as a side point, faith... Let's see, the loin belt of truth, which is the word of God. In that passage, when it talks about the belt of truth, that's the word of God. And the shield of faith were inseparable as the Roman shield rested on the loin belt when it wasn't being used. They were attached to each other. So your faith is directly attached to the word of God. Directly attached to the word of God. And in scripture tells us that in Romans ten seventeen. So when faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, where there is no word... There is no faith. So I put before you, if you're having a struggle with faith, a struggle with being able to walk by faith and not by sight, not have to know, and completely trust and believe that he is who he says he is, get in the word. Because they cannot exist separately. They are linked together with one another. And I promise you, reading the word will build your faith. It will build your faith. And then you will start experiencing, experiencing what you believed. And then, then you, you create a whole new groove in your brain because now you've experienced faith. And now it's easier to walk that out. Because at some point, you just believe that he is. That, that's, what, that's what that passage is saying in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's possible to please him because you must believe that he is comma, and a faithful rewarder of those who diligently pursue him. All right, so a question I want you to consider. 
Where are you in position to him and his protection? We've been talking about protection. Where are you in position to him and his protection? What are you using to defend yourself against attack? Do you have a shield of faith? Are you using the breastplate of righteousness? Are you hidden under the shadow of his wings and covered or not? All right, the arm of God deserves his own dedicated time, which I talked about. But in all of these pieces, they cover the front of you. And part of the definition of protection was to be protected from frontal attack. If that's true, then, when I believe that it is, not if, that that's true, but I'm setting a premise. Uh, who's got your back? Oh, excellent. She said, he's got your back. Absolutely. But in what we do here, who has your back? We do, each other's. In battle, they were wearing armor because they were in battle. And they were in battle units and they were and they formed battalions and they went out. Nobody went out to battle by themselves. You went with a unit. And um, the the movie that I took the 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 opening clip from, it's called The Last Castle and it there's a whole backstory there that I'm not going to get into, but if you've been in the military or you've watched any military movies or you know anything about it, there's order and structure down to where you stand in your unit. You know, and what, what is the order of, of where you stand and who's next to you? And part of that was I need to know that everybody's accounted for. I should have this person on my left and this person on my right, and this person should be in front of me, and this guy had better be behind me because I'm uncovered if he's not. That's what a garrison is. The third component of a castle is a garrison. A garrison is a body of troops stationed in a fortified place. And what, what, the, what the clip mentioned is men who are trained and willing to kill. And here's what this looks like in the body of Christ. That's what Paul was talking about when he talks about the body of Christ and good soldiers of Christ Jesus. He's referencing what a garrison looks like. A unit designed and dedicated to one another stationed in a fortified place with God, fighting the battle that he calls them to fight and covering each other as they do it. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. If you find yourself as a lone ranger, you are in the wrong kingdom. I'm not, I mean, sometimes I'm, I mean, I am funny, but I'm, I'm, I'm funny for a reason. You're in the wrong kingdom. So when you laugh, you go, oh yeah, I am. Oh, you need to book it back to the kingdom of God and you get yourself in front of him and you get that armor on and you surround yourself with people who will support you. Uh, Paul talks about this in first Corinthians 12 for the body has one for the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. Uh, second Timothy, Paul is exhorting second Timothy. Um, then speaking into him, speaking into Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, mankind, that doesn't just mean males, who will be able to teach others also. That's part of what a garrison does. They help each other out because there are people that are more uh, uh, experienced. And then you've got the rookie next to you. Okay. Don't be put out by the rookie. No, I'm serious. Help the rookie. Bring them along. 
Tell them what they need to know. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what this hill means. They don't know what's on the other side of the hill. You do. You've been there. You don't need that tool. You need this tool. I promise you. Put that weapon up. Get this one out because this is what's fixing to come at us. That's how we help each other. And we help fortify the kingdom. We don't have to be hidden behind walls any longer for that to happen. We start to help one another. And that those are a little bit further ahead doesn't mean you're better. It just means you're more experienced. So share what you know, and you commit these things to faithful men who will do also, and will be able to teach others also. Then that verse continues. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Okay, um, one of the other versions, this is most of my, my, most of my references are New King James, but there's another version of this passage that says, do not be entangled in civilian pursuits. Okay, civilian pursuits are the day-to-day just stuff that really, at the end of the day, does not matter. You have engaged in a conversation that has just wasted your time, and you will never get that time back. You have... Um, It all has to do with wasting time. It all has to do with not being focused and um, uh, intentional with what the Lord's called you to do. That's what civilian pursuits look like. We are not civilians. We are not civilians. And in Scripture, it's very clear. We are not of this world. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. We are not civilians. We are soldiers and we're kings. We're royalty. Royalty are not civilians. Soldiers are not civilians. We live by a different code, a different honor, and a different uh, uh, day-to-day life. We don't live life like everybody else. So in this, um, with Garrison, I want to read you this passage. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Your, mo- your mama probably told you that, didn't she? Okay, I just want you to know that's not a Hallmark card. That actually is in the Bible. And what she's saying is, don't hang around people who aren't good for you. Okay? Don't hang around people who are not good for you. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, that was the New King James Version. Okay? I'm going to read you the message version, and the only reason I'm going to do that is because I read you the New King James first, and I am typically not a fan of the message because people want the, want the that layman's term, but they don't know the word for word. So I'm absolutely fine if you want to read the message, but you better have read it in a word-for-word translation first, or you're not going to get the full oomph of what scripture is trying to tell you. Okay. Do you hear me? I mean, follow me. All right. Now listen to this, the same passage. So first Corinthians in 1533 in new King James says, do not be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Don't think you're going to change them. Don't think that you're not going to be like them. That's what don't be deceived means. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now listen to this. And why do you think I keep risking my neck? And remember, this is Paul talking. And why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do it if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah Jesus? Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beast at Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Not on your life. It's resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say the way I live. There is no, if there's no resurrection, which is what he was being told, we eat, we drink, the next day we die. And that's all there is to it. That's what battle looks like if that's that's what you're contending for. But don't fool yourselves. 
Don't let yourselves be poisoned by this anti-resurrection loose talk. Bad company ruins good manners. You must surround yourself with passionate, fully rooted, grounded in truth and love Christ followers who will defend truth, dispel lies, and who are unwilling to compromise in any area of their life. They're unwilling. That doesn't mean that things aren't going to happen. That means that they take the stance of, I am unwilling to entertain anything that is borderline, anything that's in the gray area, anything that I'm not like everybody else and it's not going to affect me and it's going to be okay and it's for research. No, it's not. It's not. Do not become entangled in civilian pursuits. That's what that looks like. That's what that looks like. You need to have people. That's what that garrison is. You've got to have those people in your life, and you've got to be willing to allow them in your life. This is a group effort. This kingdom work that we do is a group effort. So a question I want you to consider. Are you covered in this war? You got someone around you? People that you fight with? People that cover you? Or are you a lone ranger? Does someone have your back? And do you have someone else's? Okay, the last one. Oh my gosh, it's my favorite. As, as, as if I'm really just kind of flat about these other points. Okay, flag. Fourth, the fourth component of a castle is a flag. So we've had lo- location, protection, garrison, and flag. All right, flag identifies who the castle belongs to. The flag identifies who's occupying the castle. If you have a chance, a privilege to uh, travel, um, if you've ever been to England, they fly different flags over the castle depending on whether the queen is in residence or not. It identifies who the castle belongs to. So in the, the quote, you tell your men, you're soldiers and that's our flag. You tell them nobody takes our flag. Then you raise that flag so high that it flies high that everyone can see it. The flag is your word of testimony. That is the power that we have in our life. Revelation 12, 10 and 11. So a lot of times we just quote 11, which is they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb, the word of testimony. I'm going to back up to 10 and I want you to listen to this. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, 11, and they overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death which means they weren't afraid of what was going to happen when they testified to the glory of God. Okay? The enemy comes to accuse you. That's what he's called, the accuser of the brethren. He lies to you. He doesn't say anything true. Not one word out of the enemy's mouth is true unless he's quoting Scripture like he did to Jesus in the wilderness, but he's doing it to be manipulative. Okay? Not one thing he says to you is true. And he accuses you, and you overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, your salvation, your right standing in before God, because you can't even get to God unless you're in Christ. Jesus made a way for you in that, and your word of testimony. Testimony in this verse means evidence given, record, report, and a witness. 
So it's the evidence given of who God is in your life. It's the report given of what he's done in your life. The presence of God cannot be stolen from you when you, when Holy Spirit lives in you and he's deposited in you at the moment of salvation, he, that, that can't be stolen from you. But your word of testimony can be diminished, distorted, or stolen okay, by, your, by you or by others. And you have no defense. You have no defense. And then it just becomes vague. Who does this castle belong to? What do you stand for? What are you defending? What territory, what land are you defending if you don't have a word of testimony? And if you have it, if you're not exercising it, what good is it to have the flag if they didn't raise it high to demonstrate this is our land, this is our castle, and this is who we are? And a lot of us have a word of testimony. We've got our flag. It's like in the sealed decorative case in our house because we don't want to mess it up. No, you get that thing out and you raise it up and you fly it high and you proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, what he has done for you, who he is to you. Now, hear me. You're not defending your position against the enemy because you're, you don't need to defend when you're in Christ. You just are. And when you start walking around with that, he gets bored with you really quick. The enemy gets bored with you. Christ never gets bored with you. Uh, The enemy gets bored with you really quick. Ah, she knows who she is. Dang it. I'm going to have to come at it another way. Because if he can come at you with your identity, then he doesn't have to do anything else. He doesn't have to do one thing. But when you are proclaiming who you are and testifying, it's like, oh, oh, he can't stand it. He can't stand it. Because the whole reason that he got cast down is he thought he was better than God. And he wanted all the glory. And when you give glory to God, he cannot stand it. So you need to guard your word of testimony. Um, Take care of it. Protect it. Um, When there are situations in your life, a a dishonorable discharge in the military follows you forever. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that when I have missed the mark in my life, that I no longer have a word of testimony. But it means you need to guard what's been entrusted to you. That's what scripture tells us in Timothy. Guard the gift that has been entrusted to you and you protect that and you take care of it and you don't let anything come in to diminish it, belittle it, have somebody tell you, no, that's not what God did. He can't do that. Yeah, he can. It's my flag and I'm gonna fly it however I want because this is what God did in my life. And there will be circumstances in your life that you know you heard from God. You know what he did. You were witness for it. And I challenge you to go back and you look in each one of the four gospels. When you look at uh, the, after the crucifixion, who went to the tomb? In every gospel, women went to the tomb first. Okay, now this isn't just because it's a women's night. I'm not beating up on boys. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you to go back and look in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will see that. In two specific accounts, uh, Jesus spoke to the women. And they saw him and they encountered him. And he told them, go back and tell. I want you to go back and tell everybody else. Because they were all back in another place. What are we going to do now? Where are we going to go? This has really happened. I don't know. You know, what? Like, we can't go out because they know we're with him. So if they killed him, what are they going to do to us? All this stuff. And the women went to go tend to the presence of the Lord. Because they knew what he had done for them. One of them being Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, and whom, whom he cast out demons. So if you think God's not big enough to take care of you in your life, he is. And she went and ministered to the Lord. 
She went and tended the presence of the Lord. And Jesus showed up to them and said, you need to go back and tell. Here's, this is what's happened. And I mean, you, you wait, await further instructions. And they went back and told. And in two accounts, nobody believed them. They discounted what the women were saying. But they held on to it because they knew it was true. There are times you're going to be challenged in your word of testimony. Okay, are you going to stand up or not? Are you going to crumble over somebody challenging you? Are you going to know that you saw the Lord high and lifted up and the glory of the train filled the temple? Are you going to stand on what you know to be true and how he has delivered you, how he's healed you, how, you know, don't minimize, oh, it was the medication. No, it wasn't. It was the hand of God because he wills and does it his good pleasure. So if he has healed you, he healed you and he happened to use a physician to do it. Or he happened to use a pharmaceutical to do it because he designed it anyway. Remember, God made everything back at the beginning. Okay. Second Timothy 1.14, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And then 1 Timothy 6.20, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless Foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. That's the New Living Translation of that. Part of that diminishes your word of testimony when you have idle, foolish, challenging discussions that aren't going to yield any benefit. You only entertain conversations that God puts you in. And the minute you see it's fruitless, you need to excuse yourself with honor and grace because you don't need to make the other person look small. That's not honoring to God. And you get out of it. And that's part of how you defend your word of testimony. So question for you to consider. Are you able to easily overcome the enemy with your word of testimony? Do you readily and fluently testify to God's glory in your life? Or do you diminish his work in your life, which is really false humility? What do you need to reclaim that has been stolen? Okay. Um, the, the false humility is, oh, yeah, God did that, but I still, I still have all these things wrong with me. I still have all these things I need to work on. I still, that's false humility. and does not bring glory to God. If God speaks into a place in your life and he heals you and he delivers you and he fortifies you, you give him glory, and then we continue this walk. And he will, he will, he will do what's next. But don't take that position of false humility. It just, it does nothing. And it diminishes your word of testimony because you add a but at the end. God, God healed me, but I still have this, but I still have that, but I said, no, no, God healed me. And here's how he did it. And I'm going to glorify him. Location, protection, garrison, flag. Now you have yourself a castle. That's what a fortress looks like. Now, as I was studying this, you've received the foundational, scriptural foundation and practical application of what it is for him to be our fortress, our strong tower, our castle. I want to take just a minute because you've received the genuine of what a fortress is, the genuine of what a castle is. Now, let's consider castle versus a stronghold. The word fortress, like I told you, only appears 15 times in the Old Testament. There are no references to fortress in the New Testament. So even in the lexicon, it said these five Hebrew words comprise the word fortress in these 15 verses, zero Greek equivalents, which means there's nothing in the New Testament about a fortress. What I did find is the word that is referenced that comes from the same definition as fortress 
is stronghold. And stronghold only appears one time in the New Testament in one verse. And here's what it says. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 4. That's where stronghold is used. Now, in that passage, does stronghold give you the same protective, fortified, uh, shelter of your rings feeling that the Old Testament does? Mm -mm. It doesn't. Here's the message of this. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way, never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture stronghold. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. That's what that looks like. Some of you think you're living in a castle, but the truth is you've built a stronghold and they are not the same. Remember genuine Okay. Stronghold is the counterfeit of the fortress that God is. It's the counterfeit of the castle that provides location, protection, a garrison, and a flag. Castles are built to keep intruders out. That's guarding your freedom. Strongholds keep you in. It's not protective. It's bondage. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, stronghold translates like this. When I looked it up, a castle, stronghold, a fortress, or a fastness. Behind every lie is fear. There's some sort of fear the enemy has instilled in you. He brought you a lie and you believed it. And behind every fear is an idol. Idols are established wherever there exists a failure to trust in the provisions of God that are ours through Jesus Christ. And some of the weapons that pull these things down, God gives you a way out. He gives you a way out. You've believed a lie. He's about truth. Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Lies are based in fear. They're rooted in fear. Okay? God says, fear not, for I am with you. For I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. He gives you what you need, and he gives you a way out how to pull down these strongholds in using his word, the blood of the cross, and the name of Jesus. Okay? At the name of Jesus. The counterfeit of strongholds in comparison to the truth and the fortification of a castle are these things. When we look at location, protection, garrison, and flag, the counterfeit of a stronghold, the location You're in a valley or you're in a pit. You're dark and without hope, and you're utterly alone. Protection, there's none. You're the prisoner within and you can't get out. You're not fighting an enemy, and your mind and your thoughts become the enemy, but you perceive God as your opponent and set up arguments against him. Remember your word of testimony? What has God done? 
what's the truth about what he's done. I may be in a situation that I don't understand right now. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean God's not there. I testify to the goodness of the Lord, and I don't argue with him about who he is because I settled that a long time ago. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able. Garrison, none. If you're, if, you're, if you're entrenched in a stronghold, which is the counterfeit of where God wants you to be, there is no one around you. You're utterly alone, and you resist anyone coming to help you who tries to have your back. You get defensive. Why, what do you do? Is there something wrong with me? Well, I don't know. You're by yourself. <laughs> I can't cover you. Do you want to come with us? Are you, are you part of this unit? I want you to let me help you. No, I don't want you to help me. Okay. And when somebody talks like this, they're probably in a stronghold, by the way, too. Just like a little practical. I'm all here about practical tools. Um, no one, the, the difficulty with being alone is no one is in your life confirming truth. So you're left to your own thoughts. And sometimes the mind is a terrible thing. All right. And in the absence of truth, in the absence of information, people make stuff up. You're going to fill that void with something. And if you don't have truth and you don't have someone confirming truth in your life and going, you know, that's not exactly what Scripture says. Can we look at that? You're going to make something up, and you're just going to keep perpetuating the cycle. Last thing, flag. Your word of testimony has been diminished, rendered, rendered ineffective, or stolen. So I want you to understand the counterfeit of the truth of God. And so um, as we close... I just want you to consider, why would God give us, why would he give us these things in the Old Testament about what a castle is and the fortification, the fortress of who he is, and then in the New Testament not address that? Why would he do that? Because he says he doesn't change, right? I'm the Lord and I do not change. Okay, I want you to consider this. He prepared you. Everything in the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New Testament. He prepared you. He set a foundation. He told you what genuine was. He held you experience that. But in the Old Testament, we didn't have the power to walk it out. God walked with us, God with us, but not God in us. So we didn't have the power in the Old Testament. So we needed a fortified place to go. We needed a place with walls and doors and that we could, we could bar up and be protected. And God was our protector and our defender. He doesn't change. He's still your protector and your defender. But how you walk this out is through the power of Holy Spirit. So when Jesus said to the, in Acts 1, wait here, wait here until you receive power. That word power is, is dunamis. It's, a, it's meaning Ability, abundance, meaning, and might. It's everything you need to do this. And then what did Jesus do? Did he say, stay here and close the doors and pull the shades down and work with your power? No. What did he do to them? What did he say to them? He said, go. He said, go. So it's not a contradiction. God prepared you in the Old Testament, showed you the truth of who he is, then gave you the power to walk this out and said, go. I don't want you to hide. I don't want you to get behind a wall. I don't want you to pull the curtains. I don't want you to just be out in daylight. I want you to be in the world and not of it and exercise what you know to be true about me. Speak my truth. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess things on the earth, above the earth, and under the earth, that he is Lord. And that's what we're called to do. So I pray that you receive some fortification in your spirit tonight about the truth of who he is, what those things, the genuine about what his fortification looks like in your life and what that is to move forward. But walk with power in what he's given you. Walk with power. Speak his word. And I promise you, everything around you will be changed.
this body will be changed. This place will be changed, and God will be glorified. Amen. Amen. Okay. Yes. Can I pray over you before we do something else? Okay. Yes. Okay. Father, just come to the name of Jesus, and I thank you. I thank you that your word declares that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. I thank you that you are the Lord and you don't change. I thank you that you always make a way and we never have to make our own way. That you fortify us. You give us an opportunity to experience your protection, your vision from the high place, surrounding us with strong people in the body of Christ and our word of testimony bringing honor and glory to you, and therefore defeating the darkness. I pray that the women that are receiving this word, the Holy Spirit, you would continue to um, cause them to digest this word, that they would go home and they'd want to look these things up and pursue you in this, and you guide them into all truth, that this isn't just another opportunity to come and, and on Friday night, that they leave, leave this place equipped to walk this out, and you give them a hunger to do so. I pray that they look for those around them that cover their back, and they look for someone's to cover, and that this body becomes strengthened. This body of Christ becomes healed, and this body starts exercising and walking out what you've commissioned us to do. I thank you for this opportunity, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.